This is Shades of Green Energy, Austin's live green talk radio show with your hosts, John Hoffner, Deborah Dubay, and Reed Sternberg. We're live on 91.7 FM KOOP Hornsby, Austin, Thursdays from 1 to 2 p.m. and streaming live online at KOOP.org. Get program information and download past shows at shadesofgreenenergy.org. The views expressed here are not necessarily the views of KOOP Radio, its board of directors, volunteers, staff, or underwriters. Hey, and we're here with Shades of Green Energy, Austin's live green talk radio show on KOOP, Hornsby, Austin, 91.7 FM. Here's Reed filling in for John Hoffner, who usually does this introduction. We let that roll a little bit long on the reggae, but uh, here we are. And we've got Ken McKenzie Grant helping us out today, as well as Deborah Dubay. And our guest today is Michelle Hallahan, who wears many, many green hats. But today she's going to be talking about greenwashing. And that's a subject I don't know enough about, and I'm excited to be getting into that with Michelle. So she'll, she'll t- she's washing her face over here in preparation. <laughs> yeah, I was so. just going to say, watch her, watch her <laughs> Get face. the visual for you there. <laughs> but uh, let's kick it off, I guess, with a few announcements first, too. Uh, Deborah, did you want to tell us about the announcement first that you've got? Okay, absolutely. Um, If you are interested in being part of the growing solar industry, you may want to go to visit Imagine Solar. They are holding an open house Saturday, June 25th from 10 a.m. to noon, uh, and it is located at 4000 Craven, Craven, C-A-V-E-N Road, Austin, Texas. And if you can make it, it's a great place to start out uh, and fast-track your solar career. Great. And I've got uh, another announcement. This coming Thursday, a week from today, is going to be Texas Green Network's June networking event. We're going to be heavily focused on actual networking. We'll be talking about the networking process and how that fits into the green world as opposed to just networking for any any uh, plain vanilla type of uh, entity or individual. We're green. But, uh, but actually, we'll be also doing some networking activities that'll give you an opportunity to uh, sit down with five folks that you've never met before and get to be their good buddy by the end of the event. Uh, It's being hosted by Morse Coast Solar uh, at 8210 Springdale, I believe is the address. But if you're interested, you can get more information at texasgreennetwork.org. So we'll hope to see anyone who wants to join us for that a week from today. Cool. Always enjoy your open mics uh, where people get to share about their entrepreneurial activities and other nonprofits as well as for-profit gigs that they're involved in. It's always a fun thing at the TGN monthly meetings. Well, uh, I am so glad to be here with you, you guys. I've really been enjoying the programs. Uh, It's been quite a while since you've heard my voice here during the Shades of Green Energy Hour, but I'm feeling like the program's going really great. And uh, you've been putting things up on the web pretty regularly as far as the archives, haven't you, Deborah? Absolutely. And we are on iTunes, so you can subscribe or you can go there and download them or just plain listen. Yeah, I particularly enjoyed the uh, the Oceans program that you did recently for World Oceans Day, was it? I was very excited about World Oceans Day. I enjoyed that. It's a brand new um, what do you call that? A, a a recognition? Or a, yeah, yeah, recognition. Recognition of sure. the body of water that links us all worldwide. Yeah, yeah. some cool conversations, too, with yeah. uh, 
the uh, was it the Carries two Both Carries Carrie that's right, <laughs> right. Carrie Carrie and Carrie <laughs> right Carrie well one thing I'm Brownstein. I'm really excited about that I wanted to let people know about is uh, the Rainforest Partnership who having their mm. uh, they're having their films for the forest block party tonight down at 505 Willow Street which is in the Rainy Street neighborhood oh and uh, they usually have fundraisers and they have you know a little door charge but uh, I don't think there's any such thing as that so I wanted to encourage you guys to you could go to their website uh, rainforest.org for more in, or I'm sorry it's films for the rain, films for the forest I think the rainforest partnership has their own uh, website.org but uh, the event tonight begins at uh, six o'clock and it's films for the forest Dot org. It is a block party that they're hosting at their headquarters down at 505 Willow Street. They're going to be having uh, three-minute short screenings. There was actually a documentary film challenge that was judged by some pretty hoop-de-doo uh, names in the film industry, including some Texans. And uh, they're going to be screening those movies. They're going to have a panel discussion on uh, still photography and the challenges of doing that down in the Amazon, as well as live music. Uh, on stage at 7, it's Gina Chavez... While inside, they'll have the photography challenges of the Amazon. Uh, Seu Jacinto is playing, and they're a wonderful Brazilian band that uh, Michelle's friend and mine, uh, Lauren Rochelle, uh, performs with. Some great Brazilian music to set the mood. And then the three-minute film challenge is called Breath of the Planet. So uh, they're inviting you to do that. After the show, it'll be Kiko y la Banda with uh, youth entertainment for the young'uns, um, food and beverages, stuff like that. So uh, I encourage you to at least investigate the films for the rainforest and see what's up with that. Again, starting, I think, at either 6 or 7 tonight downtown. Excellent. And I look forward to being hoop-de-doo someday as well. Like that. <laughs> there you go. Well, guys, Texas Green Network. Hoop-de-doo. There you go. Hey. There you got it. <laughs> that works for me. Well, I think it's just really fascinating that, uh, Reed, you've, you've invited, and we're going to let you take the lead on the interview today with uh, Michelle Hallahan, uh, introduce her and her background. But I think it's fascinating that you've invited her. She's a native Dubliner, and you've invited her in here on Bloomsday. Yeah, well, let's start off with that that is pure coincidence but but uh (laughs) michelle tell us just a little bit about about uh what what today's uh commemorative day is about yeah what is that bloomsday in ireland commemorates the novel ulysses by james joyce and much of the novel ulysses occurred on june 16th in dublin Uh beyond that i have no idea what ulysses (laughs) okay so we're not here you're not here as an authority on on bloomsday but uh just a pure coincidence that we have our irish friend here to (laughs) to talk on june 16th and pique your interest (laughs) if you're curious about bloomsday That's right. Well, I just, I couldn't resist. Uh, We've got uh, Howie Ritchie's Eco Calendar coming up in just a minute. We're going to run a little PSA. And oddly enough, you guys, John said, Ken, find one of your obscure songs that ties in if you can. Maybe between the PSAs uh, that we're going to share with you and um, our uh, Eco Calendar, which is coming right up from Howie Ritchie, we'll uh, play just a snippet of a song called Rejoice, which Grace Slick, one of my favorite Scorpios, wrote back in 1967 with the Jefferson Airplane that commemorates kind of an anti-war attitude of the James Joyce novel Ulysses. So we invite you guys to stick around for that. Shall we take a break and come back? Sounds good. All right, you guys, stay with us. You're here with Shades of Green Energy on Co-op Radio every Thursday from 1 until 2. And John Hoffner is... Uh, sitting out today, he's out on the West Coast. Kim McKenzie Grant with you here, of course, with Deborah Dubay and Reed Sternberg, as every week. So we'll be right back. Mm-hmm. 
The Texas Land Conservancy is a nonprofit environmental land trust that works to provide private landowners with alternatives for conserving their land for future generations. If you would like to find out more about protection of land or to volunteer, you may visit www.texaslandconservancy.org or call 512-301-6363. live in the studio here on uh, Co-op Radio. It's Shades of Green Energy every Thursday from 1 till 2. And thank you to Howie for another fine eco-calendar. And uh, Ken McKenzie here standing in for John. Reed, yes. uh, set this up for us. Who okay. do we have here? We have the great Michelle Hallahan, who I'm very proud to have with us today. And, you know, I neglected to bring her biographical info, and no one would know it better than her. So I'm going to just introduce Michelle Hallahan, who's going to be talking about greenwashing today. So let's start off with a little background about Michelle. Uh, tell, tell us about yourself, Michelle. Okay. Well, I'm originally from Ireland, which you can probably tell from the accent. And I've been in Austin for nine years now. Um, I've been an environmental consultant for a number of years, and I've, I've basically worked in the environmental industry ever since I left college. So two, three years ago, I started up an environmental sustainability consultancy called Ecologic, and I've been running that ever since. I work with businesses in Austin and in other parts of the country um, to install environmental management systems, look after environmental regulations, introduce sustainability practices to a business, change the culture a little bit so people are more, more aware of environmental footprint and that kind of thing. Okay. And in my spare time, I like to keep um, a group going on LinkedIn called Greenwash, How to Spot It and Avoid It. Okay. And that's your spare time you're referring to yeah. there. Okay. <laughs> cool. That's a dedicated warrior here. Her spare time <laughs> is the, uh, the LinkedIn group. So, uh, so, okay. So now what you've been doing and you've gotten, you know, you've become one of the people that I know to be a pretty well-known expert on the greenwashing topic. So tell me a little bit about the consulting work that you do as relates to greenwashing specifically. Um, I do some contract work with Green Seal Certification. That's a third-party nonprofit body uh, based in Washington, and they've been around for 20 years. They have 50 different environmental standards, and they write standards for a product. So, for example, they have an environmental standard for bulbs, light bulbs. They have one for refrigerators. They have one for green accommodations. So hotels, a lot of hotels around the country are certified to that. Mm -hmm. um, they do certifications for household cleaning products, for industrial cleaning products, laundry products, um, household chemicals, paints. The Green Seal cert um, 
Green Seal Standard on Paint is actually written into the LEED standard, which is the Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design standard for green buildings mm -hmm. in this country. So Green Seal has been around for a long time. They've got 50 standards now, a huge range of products, and they're expanding their standards. So what I do is um, I'll go and visit a business that wants to be certified to the standard, and Green Seal will call me up and say, we need you to go and make sure that these guys are doing what they say they're doing. So I go in and do the on-site audit. So they can send in all the paperwork they want to Green Seal, saying we're doing this, we're doing that, we're not using bad chemicals, we're using biodegradable surfactants, etc. But Green Seal's last line of defense is to send somebody physically on-site to inspect everything they're doing and make sure that they're actually doing what they say they're doing. Yeah. So well, in order to be a valid uh, certification process, I think there has to be some teeth to it, right? You have to be able to verify what they're what they're doing. So yeah, and there are some certification programs that don't do that, and there's no way of absolutely being certain that you know somebody's doing what they say they're doing without a physical site visit. Right. So who are so so hotels is one that you had mentioned specifically that you've gotten into. What are some of the industries that you've focused on? Do you have a niche for Green Seal uh, or is it all over the place? It's kind of all over the place. It's more to do with um the area. So within Texas I've visited um locations that do that uh, make industrial cleaning products, household cleaning products, uh personal care products as well. That's a new mm -hmm. one. I've done a lot of hotels. Um, I've also done recycled paper products. I went down to Mexico one time to audit a company that sells to Kleenex. And Kleenex were buying, specifically buying 100% post-consumer recycled paper content from this paper source in Mexico. And these guys were amazing. It was mm. one, of the, one of the best audits I ever had, actually. So can you share a horror story of one of the worst, uh, one of the worst visits you've done for a, for a, for a green seal? Um, to be honest, I don't have any horror stories no, from okay. that, well, but good. I do have a good horror story from, um, I, I've also worked with ISO 14001, which is an international standard for mostly for manufacturing companies. And I did go into a company, um, years ago where they had, um, they, everything looked wonderful and everything looked fine. And we did a physical on-site walk through all the areas of production, all the raw material storage, and we couldn't find anywhere where they had stored their hazardous waste or their chemical waste. So myself and the other auditor were talking about this at lunchtime. We were saying, this is kind of strange that we haven't found this because you would expect this in, in the industry that they, that they were in. So he, we still had to finish the, the site audit. And part of, this, of every site audit at the time, and still is, is that you have to go up on the roof of the building because you have to look at every aspect of the building and the site to make sure that you're taking in all the possible scenarios that might exist. And being up on the roof of a building allows you to look down at a creek that might be nearby or, uh. you know, just it allows you to get a bigger picture for the context of, this, of the site itself. So, yeah. so we went up on the roof and the people who are our tour guides were a little bit reluctant. They said, well, there's no really, really no need to go up there. And we said, well, it's just it's part of the audit and we have to do this. This is on our checklist and it's something we have to tick off. Yeah. So sure enough, we got up there and that's where all their chemical waste was stored. Really? Which is crazy. Because were they trying to hide it? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. They Let's were, they put were it up on the roof it. while these guys are here. <laughs> Which actually created a safety issue, you know, because uh, they had to use a forklift to get it up there. And oh, my God, it was. Yeah. I thought when you mentioned you could see a creek running by, I pictured oh. a much worse horror story. No. <laughs> about to come. I thought that was foreshadowing, but no, no. but the roof, yeah, that's not good either. So, well, interesting. So, how about a really good? I mean, any anything where you were just blown away and you thought, you know, this is someone who super duper deserves that green seal. Um, yeah, I went to the. I stayed at the uh, Weston in Times Square and in New York, and that's you know super duper expensive hotel, and they had actually implemented their program so well 
that there was very few things I could fault them on. And, mm. and one thing I was very, very um, impressed with was a lot of us, if we, you know, a lot of people travel for business nowadays, they'll stay in a Holiday Inn or, a, you know, a Wingate or a Marriott Suites or Residential Inn or whatever. And they've all got the same signs out there. They've all got this sign that says, please reuse your towels. And if you want to reuse them, hang them up so our housekeeping staff won't take them. And that way we're saving millions of gallons of water a year and millions of uh, pounds of, of detergent. So, you know, you feel great and you think, I'm going to shower, I'm going to hang up my towel and nobody's going to take it. And then you come back to your room later on, the towel's been taken down and it's gone and you're like, ah, <laughs> oh, damn it. Um, so what really happens is those signs go into a lot of hotels and then they don't train their housekeeping staff. So their housekeeping staff go about doing their jobs, thinking they're doing the right thing, when in actual fact there's just been zero communication. Mm. So anyway, the Weston had done this amazing job of actually you know, implementing this program so well that every housekeeping person was fully informed, fully trained, and was told explicitly, you do not take the, the towel if it's wet. It doesn't matter how wet it is, leave it hanging. And they actually saved a quarter of a million dollars per month on mm. laundry. That's per a lot month. of laundry. Like, yeah, but that, I mean, that just shows you a little bit of good education training can save a company a lot of money. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. and what a great mission that would be, a fun place to go and do your consulting. Yeah. I want to do that one. <laughs> I just think it's wonderful that they actually followed through because I've found that true in, in, uh, in San Antonio and actually in a Mexican hotel as well. We, may, we want to make sure you know how green we are, but when yeah. it comes to practicing it, yeah, nobody told the staff to do something other than the conventional methods. Yeah, and that, in some regards, that can be greenwashing. You know, here you've got this nice sign out that makes people feel good. Oh, gosh, they're doing the right thing. They're being environmental. But at the end of the day, they haven't really done it properly. Well, and what a great opportunity to segue right into a basic definition of greenwashing. Why don't we go ahead and start off with that for the listeners who aren't too hip to what we're talking about with greenwashing to begin with. Sure. Um, well, greenwashing was coined around 1990 when some of America's worst polluters, including DuPont, uh, Chevron, Bechtel, the American Nuclear Society and the Society of Plastics Industry, uh, they were at a trade fair taking place in Washington, D.C., and they tried to pass themselves off, off as eco-friendly saying, look at all the good stuff we're doing. And I'm not sure who it was that coined the word. I think it was a journalist that wrote in the New York Times or the Washington Post, basically called it uh, greenwashing, what they were saying. And the Oxford English Dictionary now defines greenwash as disinformation disseminated by an organization to present an environmentally responsible public image or the use of environmental themes to whitewash corporate behavior. Oh, there you go. The whitewash must be where the greenwash came yeah. from. Yeah. So yeah, so they're basically I was going to say hogwash, but whitewash sounds Yeah, it's like they're painting a, a little veneer of green paint over, over their polluting practices. Okay, oh. gotcha. So, uh, okay, so do you want to expand on that a little bit? I know you've got a number of different topics that you wanted to go into with regard to greenwashing, and I'm not too versed on where those are. So you tell us where that goes next with the definition. Well, and, and or, as, or, as well, Michelle, it, it just occurred to me to ask, is, it, is, is this an example of an activity that always corporations engage in, or do we find greenwashing coming from small and independent business as well? It could be anybody. There's a big market out there now for green products, and so any business can decide that, hey, what we're doing is green. We're going to start touting it as green, but they might not be well-informed enough to realize that actually it's not green enough. So whether it's intentional or not, it's not limited to big corporations, that's exactly. for sure. Yeah. Well, exactly. You know, we all remember when organics were so cool. They started taking off and everybody wanted to eat local, eat green, not, you know, things that didn't have... Um, what, uh, pesticides, for pesticides. example. Pesticides. I there can't think go. of the word pesticides <laughs> added and, you know, and fertilization, etc. Anyhow... Um, and so as soon as 
people began to realize that this, the sales on these organic items were taking off. Every, everything out there became some form of organic, and they had to have measurements and standards. Otherwise, who and, that, know? and that's part of the danger of the situation when you have such a bur- There's so much money to be made now in mm. becoming green, quote-unquote, and and that's where it becomes an increasingly important mission to keep an eye on that. And there has to be some independent eye on who really is green and who's not, because there is so much money there. Every company is at least looking at it. And if they're, yeah. if they're not just looking at it, they're talking about it. And, and if they're talking about it, they need to be doing something rather than just having it be a marketing thing. And so that, that's why it's, I've seen it as such an important issue that we need to talk about periodically once every year, once every six months about what is greenwashing and what's going on in that, in that world. And we want to live healthier lives. A lot of people, you know, I mean, it impacts their health and they're making choices that are, they're trying to impact a healthy, um, sustainable lifestyle that doesn't impact the environment. When they're trying to do those things, they want to have knowledgeable information. They yeah. want to make it based that's, on knowledge. That's the voice of Deborah Dubay, and we've been listening to Reed Sternberg, co-hosts here for Shades of Green Energy every week. And uh, Michelle Hallahan is our guest today talking about greenwashing. You had a list you were going to go through, too, didn't you? Well, we have a number of different things we're going to talk about, but I was going to start off with Michelle by asking, let's focus on the positive side of this for a moment and tell us what does make a product green. Well, uh, the list that I have here is uh, the things that people would look into to find out if their product truly is green is you'd look at the energy use for the, for the product, how much water was used in, in the making of it, uh, how much waste reduction was involved, or did it create an awful lot of waste to, just to make it, what kind of ingredients were used to make it, does it have any toxins, does it have heavy metals, does it have you know, heavy chemicals, is there excess of packaging, if it has minimal packaging that would be considered a green product. And what kind of labeling does it have? Do they have labeling that clearly states they use post-consumer recycled content or they use biodegradable materials? Do they inform the customer? Does the business itself have corporate sustainable responsibility? Do they issue a report every year? And then what kind of proof is there? Sometimes you'll have a third-party certification, for, like Green Seal, for example, or FSC, which is the Forest, uh, Forestry Sustainability Council, or um, um, EcoLeaf or eco options. There's, there's lots of different brands out there that can certify a product to be green. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I hear most of the focus in that being on the actual manufacturer and the content of the product itself. And I did hear you mention corporate, you know, the corporate, yeah. uh, whatever, I forgot the word that you social used. Responsibility. Social responsibility. Sure. What about the tangential operation of the company too? I mean, let's, you could have a product that's perfectly manufactured, that they do a wonderful job. And then say, for example, transporting the product, they use 30 year old 18 wheelers and in a very inefficient and very smog producing way, uh, transport it. Is there any eye on all that as well? Absolutely. Um, Yeah, absolutely. That, that all, that all becomes a part of it. There's a, um, a water brand that comes out of Iceland and they're claiming to be the first ever carbon neutral water in the world Hmm. and I have not looked into it adequately but I would be really curious to know if they have incorporated the carbon footprint of transport because Iceland is very very far away from most countries in the world right so so for them it becomes a bigger challenge to stay on par yeah Uh, that that actually could bring in some uh some justice issues when it comes to who's geographically advantaged and who's not doesn't it? exactly yeah so yeah Iceland would be challenged in that regard yeah 
Um, I also I want to um, give you a couple of <clears throat> excuse me a couple of examples of products that have been greenwashed. And there's one that I saw at Office Depot a few years ago. For, sorry, a couple of months ago. Okay. Very very funny. It's called Enviro Sticks, and these are pencils. It was a big packet of pencils. And it had a big green sticker with a green image of the, the world, planet Earth on it. Mm-hmm. And it says, EnviroSticks blazoned across it, the environmentally friendly pencil. And I thought, oh my God, I have to buy these. These are so green. <laughs> mm. So I got all excited and it even had a little round logo on it with that hand holding a tiny you know, seed tree. So I really got excited then. I thought, oh my God, it's even certified. Okay. So I picked it up and I had a read of the packet. And here's what it said. It said, in three different languages. So I was even more impressed. Natural wood. So it's natural. So I thought, well, what is unnatural wood? Like what, <laughs> not, you know, wood is, is very natural. Why would you call it natural wood? So okay. that was the first inclination that there was something a little bit off. Okay. And then it said unpainted surface. And I thought, okay, well, I'll give them that, you know, unpainted. That's fair enough. There's no chemicals there. Okay. But then it says 100% recyclable. It's like... What anything is recyclable. My mattress is recyclable. If somebody wants to sit down and actually go to the through to the trouble and the hours of peeling away all the bits from each other, so you're telling me that when I get down to this little one-inch nub of pencil, which has lead and wood and metal and a little rubber at the end of it, mm-hmm. that that's recyclable. You're going to recycle that. That's yeah. That well, there, is greenwashing, my friends. Gotcha. <laughs> Well, there's a, yeah, I mean, what constitutes recycling? You need definitions for some of these claims. Well, anything, and that's, that's one key indicator of greenwashing. If you see the word recyclable on a packet, anything can be considered recyclable. Mm-hmm. If somebody uses that word, that means they, they're grasping at straws to make their product look green. So that's red flag words right there. Absolutely, okay. yeah. If you see recycled content, that's what you want to go for. Ah, Ah, okay. That is a difference. That's a distinguishable difference. Well, you know, something that always occurs to me when I read the labels on things, and I'm I'm a habitual uh, reader and and, uh, what I like to consider a discriminating consumer, and I hope all of y'all are the same, that you do read the labels on things before you spend uh, your money wherever you're going to spend it. But uh, I, I wonder sometimes if the idea for a product starts in the marketing department with, hey, let's do something that we could pitch to the green audience rather than in the old journalistic term form follows function saying hey well we need this product how can we make this that we perceive a market to be uh, therefore uh, as green as we possibly can instead of starting with the idea of let's do something that's green well i would say that the answer is almost a universal yes because any product any industry you have to perceive a demand for it you have to perceive a market for it or else nobody's going to go into it and so that's what's growing right now is this growing market for products that are perceived as or are really green. And, and so absolutely, that's going to call a lot of businesses that wouldn't otherwise be in this market chasing the dollar. And we have to sort out what's real and what's not, what's really beneficial. I like the term pre-cycling too, which is basically to, as consumers of whatever or users of things, that before we get ready to buy something, we think, do I really need this? Do I really have a use for this before I ever even consider spending my money? Mm-hmm. Sure. Right. That's a, that's a good indicator as to whether <clears throat> something has the potential to be considered green. Do we even need it to begin with? I want to go back to a point you made, that does form follow function or does an industry see a market and then decide to jump into it? Yeah. And BP is one of the best examples of that, where they saw a market and they decided to jump into it. And not only that, they went beyond that 
so far, so good. They went beyond that and decided to rename their company. So instead of being British Petroleum, they decided to be called, call themselves Beyond Petroleum, uh-huh. indicating that they had diversified their energy sources beyond fossil fuels. Um, the truth of the matter is that BP have, still have 93% of their fuel source is oil and gas. They have 2.79% wind power. They have 1.39% solar and 2.79% biofuels. So they really haven't diversified their fuel source at all. And the irony of it is, in 2008, when they changed their logo or changed their name, they spent $150 million on changing that logo worldwide. $150 million. Mm-hmm. The same year, they spent $45 million buying the SolarX Solar Energy Corporation. That is their level of commitment to diversifying fuels. Mm-hmm. They also, just to put that in perspective, they spent $5 billion, billion with mm-hmm. a B, mm-hmm. over five years for oil exploration in Alaska alone. Right. Ooh. And so even in the name, uh, just the marketing of the name, you can find the potential for uh, hazardous greenwashing there. Yeah. Uh, Beyond Petroleum is a name that you probably need to... Uh, put a little more effort into and not just a uh, 150 million towards renaming. Yeah. I think beyond preposterous is probably a better beyond name. Beyond preposterous. <laughs> I think you should get involved in their branding. <laughs> yeah. That does border on preposterous. Yeah. So do we need to go ahead and, and take a break here and get to the, uh, yeah, let's do that. Um, you have a web review for us today. Don't you Deborah? I do. It's actually on, um, green seal. So oh, good. stay tuned. Perfect. Great. We'll Let's hear do, more about Green Seal. Let's do that, and we'll be right back in a minute here on Shades of Green Energy. Greetings, and welcome to Shades of Green Energy content review, where we talk about the content of cool green online stuff, from websites and books to audio, video, and more. If you've got a tip for us, go to our website at shadesofgreenenergy.org and shoot us a message or visit us on Facebook or Twitter. If you want to know what green events are going on in Austin today, you can go to Austin Eco Network or Texas Green Network to get connected with what's going green in Austin. Thinking about today's topic on products and industries that greenwash their brands, I thought I'd take a look for a website that helps people know whether something truly supports people seeking a green lifestyle that is healthy and sustainable. The search brought me to Green Seal at www.greenseal.org. Green Seal is an independent nonprofit with over 20 years of experience in certifying products and services that are green and healthy. They've developed a life cycle based sustainability standard for products services, and companies, and offer third-party certification for those that want to provide proof they meet the criteria for healthy green living. Lots of companies claim to be green, but Green Seal helps you tell which ones really are reducing their impact on the environment and helping people live healthier lives. Green Seal helps consumers by providing a page where you can search for green products and services. They have an institutional page for governments and communities who want to partner and show they are growing green. There's a page for businesses to get information on certification. And of course, there are many ways for interested individuals to get involved at www.greenseal.org. This has been Deborah Dubay checking out cool green online content to make life well, 
more content at Shades of Green Energy on 91.7 FM KOOP Radio each Thursday at 1 p.m. Till next time, we hope you'll keep cool, green, happy, and content. And you're here with Shades of Green Energy, <clears throat> excuse me, live on KOOP 91.7 FM. We are Austin's live green talk radio show. And John Hoffner is out today, but we've got Ken McKenzie Grant filling in for him, along with Deborah Dubay and myself, Reed Sternberg. And we're here with Michelle Hallahan, who is talking about greenwashing today. And, you know, I'd like to back up for just a second, because I think the next thing we're going to talk about would be would really benefit from a little brief definition on what the triple bottom line is, because I think that's going to be important to what we talk about with greenwashing here. So, Michelle, tell us about what the triple bottom line means. The triple bottom line is the, it's called the three-legged stool of sustainability. And basically, it's about the economy, it's about uh, social inclusion and environment. So sustainability is not just about saving the environment. It's about providing every person with a working wage, treating them with respect, uh, giving them their rights, giving them a voice in the place that they work in. And then it's about the economy. It's about providing a sustainable economy, not the kind of slash-and-burn economy that we've seen over the last few years, mm-hmm. where more and more money goes up to um, 0.001% of the population in this country, and they own more and more and more, and 90% of the country owns less and less and less. Not a sustainable economic model, if you no. will. Yeah, and that really gets into some of the offenders that we may find in when we talk about greenwashing, because we are talking about things like social justice, things like fair trade, uh, and, and even doing business locally in some cases when we talk about sustainability. And so tell us a little bit about the example, the, this one example that I thought was real interesting uh, as relates to the justice aspect of it. And, and sure. Um, well, Walmart has really greened up its image in the last few years, um, given that it has done so much for energy efficiency. They've slashed their energy costs by 20%, I think, over the last number of years. And they're predicting that they're going to um, slash them even again by 60 or 70% mm. by uh, the year 2020. And they're really going to great lengths to do that. They're replacing all the light fixtures in their stores with energy-efficient light bulbs. They're increasing the efficiency of their trucks. They're um, you know, stopping trucks from idling when they pull in to deliver their wares to a store. So they're really going after it tooth and nail. Now, they're getting great PR from that because mm-hmm. everybody's interested in energy and inter- interested in global warming and climate change at the moment. But the truth of the matter is they're going after it for money. It's a cost saving. They are saving hundreds of millions of dollars a year. And I'm all for something that saves money and saves the environment. But one thing that um, is staying out of the media at the moment, which um, people should be aware of, is that um, Walmart do not treat their employees with the best of regard. They treat them very poorly. And in fact, the typical wage of a Walmart um, associate, as they're called, is $20,774. Now, that is the average wage of a Walmart associate. And they employ millions, well, actually hundreds of thousands, perhaps a million people over in the United States. Mm -hmm. That amount is less, it's $1,276 less than the federal poverty guideline for a family of four. So effectively, Walmart are not paying their employees a living wage. Typical associates work only 34 hours a week, and this is how Walmart manages to avoid paying for their health care, for their health benefits, for their pension. They don't get any benefits or any money aside from that poverty-level wage that they get for working at Walmart. Um, 
Walmart have had two lawsuits, uh, class action lawsuits taken against them over the past 10 years, both for the same thing. So not only did they first pay out $350 million to the class action lawsuit um, to the employees who claimed that they had been overworked, they had been forced to work overtime, they had not been paid any money at all for that overtime work. And this was something that was inherent in the Walmart culture, that they, they train their managers to do this with the employees. So this isn't one rogue manager doing this in one location. This happens, you know, endemically throughout Walmart. Mm-hmm. Um, these employees won their class action lawsuit. Anybody would think that a company would revisit that behavior and say, okay, we're going to stop this. We're not going to do this. This is not a way to treat our employees who are so loyal to us. No, they continued doing what they were doing. There was a second class action lawsuit taken against them about four years ago, and the employees won yet again. So you really have to ask yourself, is this the kind of company that I want to spend my money at? Is this the kind of company I want to work for? There's, their, their social inclusion is, is not a And, and you know what I think makes this, it really accentuates this as a greenwashing issue that I think everyone should keep in mind as we talk about this, is that Walmart spends a fortune on television commercials from the perspective of happy employees. Yeah. That's yeah. their main method and their main format for commercials. Hi, I'm an associate at Walmart and I do this and do this and my life is wonderful and this is a part. And it's that's their main campaign, at least what I've seen on TV, is from the perspective of yeah. happy Walmart associates. Good point. So yeah. really accentuates the, the greenwashing aspect of this beyond just being a social justice issue. Do we find Walmart in Canada or Mexico, any other countries? They just bought uh, more than 50% of the grocery stores in South Africa. Really? A month, less than a month ago, they just bought it. Wow. And they, I think they've tried to go into the UK um, I'm sure, I'm certain they're in other countries, absolutely certain. So let's let's talk about another interesting example here. Uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, your information that you have regarding Exxon, Exxon Mobil. Sure. Well, Exxon was made famous by the Exxon Valdez um, debacle that happened 10 years ago. Um, it's been more than that. It was, no, it was 20 uh, years ago. Yeah, yeah 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was 1980. Sorry, it was 1980. 89. 89, actually. I think. Wow. Okay. Wow. So Wowie. put well it done. at 23 years then. Yeah. That's how long since I've bought any Exxon gas. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, actually. Um, anyway, so Exxon uh, had that disastrous spill in 1989, and um, they have been doing a lot of greenwashing to their image as well, saying that they're diversifying their energy sources. They have this ad now that says, we agree. And I think they have a website. It might be weagree.com. And basically what they're saying is, yes, you're concerned about the environment. We are too. And we're working to help fix it and, and make things better. Okay. Uh, the truth of the matter is that Exxon Mobil gave $1.3 million to climate denial organizations in 2009 alone. And those donations are actually down from $3.5 million in 2007. So these guys, while they're putting out all these fabulous ads, these feel-good ads, we want our customers to feel good, we want you to buy oil from us, behind the scenes, they're doing all this. They're basically fiddling around uh, promoting organizations that say that are saying that climate change does not exist and is, in fact, a figment of hundreds of thousands of people's imagination. And the other thing I want you to know about Exxon is that they finally settled the Valdez case in 2009. It took 20 years of court cases. They broke people. They broke people in that town. They broke businesses. They destroyed that entire town. They destroyed the fishing industry almost permanently. Um, 60% of the shoreline in Alaska is as badly affected in 2006 as it was in 1989. That's how bad that oil spill was. Mm. And these guys paid out a fraction 
of the amount of money that they should have paid. Mm-hmm. So this is, a, this is not a company to be trusted. Yeah, I mean, fossil fuel companies are not to be trusted. And I think a lot of the reason that people are upset with the United States government is that you would think that after 20 years and that whole debacle that we would have learned to apply what's going on with BP. I yep. still don't think we know most of the fallout from our BP uh, I'm debacle last year. I'm certain. And yeah. the other one thing that BP did um, in the fallout of the spill that happened a year ago in the Gulf of Mexico was they, they paid money to buy um, the Google search um, Gulf of Mexico oil spill. So anytime somebody went in and put Gulf of Mexico oil spill in Google, the first thing they hit was the BP website that said, here's how great we are. Here's what we're doing to clean it up. Mm-hmm. We're sorry. We're doing our best. A yeah. cyber aspect of greenwashing as yes. well. Brilliant. Absolutely. I mean, it's Deviously inter- brilliant. Yeah. I mean, there's, uh, there's, uh, if you know how to navigate the web and if you have the resources to do it, you can steer people's impressions in all different kinds of ways. Yeah. And that's one of them. So did I understand that you were saying that this, 350 million or three or whatever the number was, was actually down from 2007 or 2008 while at the same time they're spending money to say, so they take the money that they reduce on what they're actually doing and spend that on marketing money to say that we are doing this as if it's a new and increased and improved thing. Yeah. It's like we've, we've changed. It's it's like, you know, it's, they're basically a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's a shell game. look, Look at us. We're doing so much better. We're doing the right thing now. And, that, yeah. and it, the truth of it is they're making record-breaking profits, record-breaking profits while everybody's paying through the nose for gas. Right, and then looking for subsidies for the industry. I yeah. find that a, a, a puzzling uh, pu- a puzzling thing to participate in while you try to tout yourself as part of an evolution uh, because it's very clearly money spent in opposition of an evolution. Artificial resistance to what's a national pro- or natural progression in how we, where we get our energy sources from by dumping money into propping up the old inferior way. And yeah. I mean, you couldn't be any more. I mean, I don't know if that qualifies as greenwashing, but it sure qualifies as a real pain. If you ask me <laughs> well, <laughs> to, be, and, to be articulate, about you know, it. <laughs> I, I saw our mutual friend, Jenny Nazak, who uh, was a co- one of the co-hosts of this program for several years. And, and Jenny is always about personal responsibility when it comes to things and being the owner of two trucks, one of which is a real gas guzzler. I have to keep thinking when, you know, uh, yes, Exxon is not what I consider an ethical corporation, but doggone it, you know, if if I only didn't have to buy so much gasoline, I keep looking for ways yeah. to be Give more us efficient. Choice. Yeah, Give yeah, us it's choice. true, and I, I I've always been upset with the lack of cafe standards from the United States government uh, for what now thirty years since you know we've been wanting these things uh, in the seventies when we had the first gasoline crisis back in the in the 70s uh do we have cafe standards still i don't think we do in the united states for cars although they are slowly starting to get more efficient but we're still very much reliant on the on the oil industry oh yeah well i don't know about cafe standards per se or that 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 term uh but you know we've had many many opportunities along the way to make improvements and when you talk, you don't. You can't beat up yourself as the individual too much because there has, to be, there has to be an economically clear path to doing it. These things have to become affordable for them to enter the mainstream. And there's so much money being put into keeping it the other way, keeping it from, from progressing in that direction. Mm-hmm. So before we bring our listeners down too much, let's turn this in the positive direction for a minute. Thank you, I'd Reed. like to get Michelle to, to tell us a little bit uh, about, about a really good story that she has and specifically about... Uh, some true sustainable products. I'll let you go from there. With sure. Well, um, 
you know, I, not only do I like to identify the companies that are greenwashing the products, but I also like to identify the companies that are doing the right thing. And there's plenty of them. There's more and more of them every day. I mean, people really are getting behind this this movement. Um, Seventh Generation is one of my favorite companies because they truly have taken sustainability at the triple bottom line level to heart. Um, they use all plant-based detergents and cleaning agents in their products. And they, they basically make household products uh, paper products like toilet paper and uh, kitchen towels, and they also do uh, cleaning products, everything from laundry detergent to, you know, stuff to get scum off your, your bathroom tiles. Um, they use no petroleum ingredients, nor have they ever used any petroleum ingredients. And people are often surprised to find out that most cleaning chemicals have are based out of petroleum. They're based out of oil, fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. Um, tr- uh, seventh generation has never used petroleum. They also make concentrated products, so there is less water involved in manufacturing, and you get more product that you can dilute then when it comes to your house, when you take it home. They use post-consumer recycled plastic containers, so even their plastic containers are made from post-consumer recycled plastic. So they're not using oil to make new plastic, to make new containers. And then those containers are made in HDPE, which is recyclable. So you can, in the true sense of the word recyclable, you can put those into your recycling and be sh- certain that it's going to become another product. They have never used phosphates either. And they use post-consumer recycled paper only in their paper products. So those guys are great. Uh, there's, there's one other company that I'm a huge fan of, and it has nothing to do with the fact that I love beer, because I come from Ireland. Um, <laughs> Fat Tire Beer Company is, let's face it, they're the best beer. <laughs> okay. They're, and, and they're a green company, too? Very, very Do tell. Green. It's my really? wife's favorite beer, oh, so good. she's going to be happy to hear this. Tell us yeah. why. They're based out of Fort Collins, Colorado, and, and uh, the story is that it was a husband and wife that made beer as a part-time hobby. And their friends had been telling them for years and years, you guys have to sell this. It's so great. So they finally bit the bullet and they did it. And they made their first batch out of the back garage uh, from their house. They did super well. So they grew organically. You know, they're not, they didn't have millions of dollars to back them up. But they started small. They've grown ever since. They've got over 100 employees now. They have employee profit sharing in the company. So that's the economic part of the sustainability stool. They give a free bike to every new employee to encourage them to cycle to work. Mm-hmm. That's how they have the bike on the, on uh-huh. the uh, label. Uh-huh. They are wind-powered, so they're powered entirely sustainably. Mm. And they set up a foundation called Save the Colorado River because the Colorado River is where they get their water from. And they, you know, they realized that they were contributing to dropping the level of water, so they thought, we need to start putting part of our profit back into saving that, organiza- or saving that river. And they also have employee volunteering. So they encourage employees to take time off work and contribute a certain number of hours per year to volunteering at local organizations. That's, That's very great. cool. Oh, yeah. boy. That, really impressive. That really, a good beer just and, went up and... You know, and it makes it taste all the better. <laughs> <laughs> to know you that. You feel it's a guilt-free, a guilt-free beverage. Right. <laughs> well, speaking of tasty things, I want to remind you one more time that we're coming up on the end of the hour, and here at 2 o'clock, your community radio station will present the second in our hour of uh, talk programs today. That would be Food Love Austin, and Susan, the Queen of Spoons, has joined us, and uh, she'll be on in just a moment, so I hope you will stay tuned for that. And, um, and I just wanted to give Michelle the opportunity to give a little bit of follow-up information about herself. Tell you us bet. about a URL website where we can find more information about Michelle Hallahan. Sure. Um, my website is EcologicSustainableSolutions.com. Okay, that's a long one. Yeah. EcologicSustainableSolutions.com. Yeah. Great. Okay. 
Wanted to make sure we got that in there. No, no, Michelle's for sure. Michelle's been so kind to share her you expertise know, we, with us. We, we've only got a couple of minutes, but Michelle, could you give us maybe a thumbnail sketch? I'm kind of curious as to how Whole Foods looks. Have they gotten any greener? Have they always been a really green corporation? Um, I had the opportunity to work with them for a contract um, two years ago, and I actually found them to be super, super green um, and a very a huge level of ha- happy employees in there. Like people really, really genuinely enjoy working for them. Which has not always been the case. The, hey, the employee I, I, thing. I can tell you, my very first job was working as a bag boy for Whole Foods. I was the first bagger at the second store ever when wow. Whole Foods opened its second store ever. You're wow. dating yourself. This was Whoa. like this was ear, the, the early '80s, <laughs> and impressed. I have to say that there. I had a friend back then who still works there to this day. There are actually a few of them. Wow. There are actually a few of them, but uh, we're talking. Let's see, forty-four minus fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> 20, 29 years. Yeah. We're going on 30 years that some of these people wow. have been working there. So yeah. that says something anyway. Well, I had perceived that they were always pretty green, but I, I'd had people that were a little bit disgruntled in the past. And what I'm hearing you both say is that the employee practices have has improved the situation. Yeah. And, and not only that, um, Whole Foods, I think, is an easy target. It is the it, it is way eons ahead of any other grocery company in the company in, in the country, possibly in the world, in terms of taking on uh, being as organic as uh, sustainable as they possibly can. Like all their seafood is certified by the Sustainable Seas uh, yeah. Coalition. Yeah, we yeah. talked about that the other That's day. That's right. Yeah. And also the Marine Sustain- uh, Stewardship, Stewardship Council. Council. Yes. Yeah. And every new building that they open up is LEED certified. So it's already a green building. And um, there are four. Four Whole Foods have, um, are, have brought in CHP, Combined Heat and Power. Yeah. So they're reducing their cost and their, and their CO2. You know, I was a little puzzled a while back. There was this story about uh, quote-unquote organic frozen vegetables that were actually, when you actually looked at the fine print, came from China, it turned out. And I'm wondering if you knew anything about that, if anything had been done to improve improve that uh, situation. I'm, I'm assuming and I'm, I'm sure that they've done something about it, but a few years ago there was this thing that happened where "Quote unquote organic vegetables." It turned out were being were being brought in from China. Yeah, I, um, I don't. I'm sure they were organic. Like I'm guessing they were certified because I know from uh, from having worked with with Whole Foods for a little bit that their meat program, for example, they will only take meat that is absolutely traceable back to the animal and to the plot of land that it is actually fed on. Right. And um, they also won't have anything with antibiotics or growth hormones in it. So they and they absolutely guarantee that not just for the meat you buy at the counter, yeah. but for every meat product in their. Uh, business. So even the, the pepperoni on their pizzas. Cool. That's good. I, I think it's natural to wonder about chain of custody when something is coming oh, yeah. from. Sure, it from, is. Yeah, so. Well, Michelle Hallahan, we want to thank you for being here. Give them that website again right quick. EcologicSustainableSolutions.com You have been listening to Shades of Green Energy recorded live at KOOP 91.7 in Austin, Texas.